Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Howdy, folks. Happy Wednesday. Happy hump day. Uh, we have games to discuss. We had a rather, I would say, uneventful game yesterday uh you know not not not, not a especially great playoff game but we'll discuss uh that uh and the upcoming uh game two of tampa and the islanders uh let me start off with the pre-show here just with something i related to to russ when we talked before the show um this is the political season this is the season where lawn signs are uh, are prevalent everywhere um, so in whatever neighborhood you're in, you're going to see Trump po- uh, st- signs, you're going to see Biden signs, and you're going to see local candidate signs. Well, in Buffalo, I saw three signs that said, Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, 2020. How friggin' lame. I'm sorry. It's like, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a big football fan, not as much as hockey or baseball, but I would never put up a, a sign for the Yankees or a sign for no, I wouldn't either. Like to me, I it's mean, just on. why, why, why bother? I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely lame, just stupid. But anyway, uh, start with the pre-show Russ. Okay. So I, I got an interesting email. I, I get them from time to time. And this one came from uh, a website called usdirect.com. And ultimately what, what they did, they have a, a business section and they put out the listing of, presidential pitches throughout the throughout the years i don't think i would have guessed that fdr was number one but fdr was number one by far like nobody's nobody's even close to him uh well, what's it? go ahead you want, to know, you want to know why go ahead because the washington senators were in washington makes That's sense yeah. and and he threw he threw from the not from the dugout, but from the first row, because he was obviously with because of polio, he wasn't going right. to throw. But he's know, not the only one that's done that. Nixon threw from the first row. Yeah, a bunch of them have. Um, but going through them, it was interesting because Taft was actually the first one to do it on opening day. Right, and he did it twice. I wouldn't have expected him to do it twice. Like that's a guy. Who, if you want to talk about a non-athlete, yeah, he put a lot of weight behind those throws. Oh, he did, put, he did. He did. But who? Joe Wilson four, Harding four. Now Calvin Coolidge, he tied GW with six. That was like fourth place. Second place was Harry Truman, which again makes sense mm-hmm. because there was a lot. Baseball was king in that time, and and he was very popular. Eisenhower. Eisenhower won behind Truman. I don't know if I would have guessed that. Mike, would you have? Um, well, he was there for eight years. Yeah. So but still. And, and you also have to, you also have to factor in when it comes to FDR. First, there was Washington. Second of all, he was four terms. He was, you know, his first election yeah. was 32, and then he, he died in 45. So he was on his fourth. He, I, I'm sure for the through the first three terms, you know, he that's when everything happened in 44. He I was, mean, but Obama was there eight years, only did it twice. Right. You know, so he he certainly uh, 
I mean, didn't maximize that. Them, but it started cutting back on things like that also. So yeah. we have to consider that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Clinton did it five times. Uh, he was a big baseball fan. Like I basically, when, um, when the Mets retired Jackie Robinson's number, I had to wait an extra half hour to get in the stadium because Clinton's limo was right in front of my car. <laughs> well, so he, I mean, but he did attend. Like he was a big baseball fan. But it's interesting to see the list. Obviously, the guy who's left off is Trump. He has never done it. Well, the funny thing was, remember, he was supposed to do it yes. for, the Yankee, for the Yankees, and then they canceled it because – and the, the, there's again, there's conflicting info, information here. It was almost like he said he was going to do it, and the Yankees never even invited him. Right. Or the Yankees. They or didn't invite him. What happened. It's because or he was buddies with Randy Levine that he just figured he could just go and do it anytime he wants, and it's like he forgets that, hey, this is the New York Yankees. Like, they – they have a long list of people who throw out first pitches and such. You can't just cut the line. And so they didn't let him do it. Well, I still remember um, the, the the first pitch or the presidential pitch uh, for George W. Bush uh, for the for the World Series in 01. I Wear remember the flag jacket, yeah? Yeah, I, right. And I remember the uh, uh, there was a documentary on HBO where yep. Mark Grace and Derek Jeter – both talked about, you know, you better throw one down the pipe or people will boo you in Yankee <laughs> Stadium. And 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 Grace said, you know, that that was probably the best presidential pitch because it was, you know, he threw it right down the middle. It was, he it was did, a, and he had asked him if he was going to warm up also before he went out there to make sure he threw his strike. Sure, but most of them do warm up. So, I, no, it was – I give him credit. And, look, you if you don't think he was scared, I'm sure there was some nerves going on too. So, you know, yeah. that that's a big deal. Also today um, – is the uh, is Roberto Clemente day? MLB finally did something for Roberto Clemente. I think everybody's going to wear twenty one, which is great. Uh, I was just over at my dad's house the other day, and we talked about. I asked him if he remembered because you know I could be a bit of a nudge as a kid. And um, no, when you Roberto Clemente passed away. <laughs> it was I think New Year's Eve um, of the seventy three season. Yep. He he passed away and it was on a humanitarian effort. And I just, I remember at that time I said to my dad, I want to go to the hall of fame for my birthday. And then he was just like, yeah, okay. You know? And then I heard they were doing something for Clemente. They made a wax statue of him and they also had like his game used uniform. And I said, we really have to go. And we went, and that was the first time I went. And it was really terrific because obviously I'd watched him play. Obviously the throw from the world series in 72 was the best throw I've ever seen in a world series. Uh, you know, so many things, but, but the guy, the funny thing about it, and, and this is something that I never picked up on Jan, because even though we watched him play, I had to watch a documentary because a lot of those pregame interviews you never saw, he would always complain about something that he was hurting him. He'd be like, yeah, I'm doing okay, yep. but my elbow hurts, my knee hurts. And then he'd go out, hit four for four. So there was a lot of, I, I used to love Roberto Clemente. Yeah, I mean, he was viewed a little bit as a hypochondriac. He definitely was. I mean, yeah. but Clemente Manning right field was fun to watch. The only guy I would compare a little bit, um, Dave Parker's arm from right field a little bit, Ellis Valentine's arm from right field a little bit. Yeah. But Clemente had well, had a great arm, right? Obviously, we talked about his 3,000 hit that I believe came off John Matlock on September 30th, right before he, he passed away. And in addition, if I remember correctly, the Hall waived the waiting period. They did. elected him immediately right into the Hall, which is one of the rarities that they've done there. Uh, to be able to enable him to go in immediately. And, you know, look, last about 3,000 hit, I mean, pretty pretty special in terms of not necessarily obviously what happened causing it, but the fact that he was able to notch his 3,000 hit in his final at bat. 
And he also yeah. had to put up with racism. I have a 55 Bob Clemente, Bob yep. Clemente tops card. And it's like, really? And that's what they did back in those days. They would make those guys sore, sort of like more Americanized. And so they called him Bob on his card for a few years. And then I guess at some point he must have complained or something. And then they changed it back to Roberto. But yeah, I, and the other funny thing, people may like this or not, but you know how like you take a foreign language class, um, for the name Russ, there is never a comparable name. In the Jewish religion, there isn't. I had to pick Reuven, which is Robert. In Spanish, there isn't. So when they asked me, and I was in, I want to say third or fourth grade, they're like, "Who? what name do you want to pick? And I said, Roberto. <laughs> so that was there that is was there, there, there is an Italian version of Russell. Because I, I is there? Uh, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll, find, I'll find out for you my know, If I go to anywhere, let's say it's Pikes Peak, Hall of Fame, whatever, I would say there's a 75% chance I won't be able to get a magnet with my name. I have about four of them on my fridge, but they're hard to come by. Well, it's fun. It's funny because there are two different spellings of Michael. There's an E-A-L and then A-E-L. Yep. I, right. I, years, years ago, like the, you know, you find that like the, the keychain that has, and I sort of got, they ran out of the A-E-L and all they had was the E-A-L. And I'm not, I, I wasn't going to buy one that had a misspelling. So I just, I passed over it. Um, one more thing before we start the show. Um, the, uh, my buddies over at TSN 1050 in Toronto, uh, the, 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 a great afternoon drive show called Overdrive with uh, Brian oh, yeah. uh Jamie McLennan, former NHL goalie, and, and Jeff O'Neill, former Leaf, former uh, Carolina Hurricane. Isn't that Noodles? No, uh, noodles is McLennan. Oh, uh, yeah, McLennan. Yeah, yeah. And um, they were having a, apparently it was a slow news day because I think it was it's because the the Blue Jays are being successful and playing in Buffalo. Um, they were talking about Buffalo's main claim to fame, which is chicken wings, that and blizzards, and they regaled how wings in Buffalo are overrated. Oh, give me a break. I mean, I love the guys, but maybe this was just a, a troll move or whatever. But if you're talking about anchor bar wings, yes, they're overrated. If you're talking overrated, if you're talking about Buffalo wings in Buffalo, I'm sorry. I've had wings in other places and they're, they've been good, but no place are wings as good as in Buffalo. I will say this. My so brother went to UAB, right? So in the, in the early eighties, like 84, I was up in Buffalo, maybe 85, something like that, when he was graduating. And that's when I first tried Buffalo Wings. Never had them in my life. And they were great, right? And back then, it really was the only place. Now, Mike, I would say in, in the 21st century, there are a lot of places that yeah. have learned how to make great wings now because it's really become a higher-priced menu item than it used to be. It used to just be kind of like fast food 10 cent, 10 cent wings. Yeah. 10 cent wings. Now it's become like more of a delicacy, not really, but you know what I'm saying? It's, it's yeah. a little bit higher highbrow. And so a lot of places have come out with decent wings. Still, Buffalo has the best that I've tasted, but I've got a good place here. I mean, I would say they're probably yeah. third from the places I've had in Buffalo. No, they're, they're, I mean, they're great. They're, they're, I've had great wings in Toronto. I've had great wings like when we've gone to NHL drafts. I'm just yeah. saying consistently, I, I could name about, 10 to 12 places. The one place that Joe Yurden suggested I went and got wings there a couple weeks ago. They were fantastic. There's about 10, 12 places that are sort of under the current that are really good. 
that yeah, are Jono's food, that breakfast place that he brought us to, that's a great place. Yeah. So, I mean, it, but uh, yeah, no, guys, sorry. They're not overrated. If you're talking about Anchor Bar, it's overpriced, overrated, and you get yeah. killed if you go to the restaurant. Uh, but anyway, uh, let, let's start the show. Hello, Hockey World. Today is Wednesday, September 9th, 2020. I'm Jan Levine. Russ Cohen from Sportsology. And I'm Michael Lagello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. All right, we'll start with a little breaking news, not breaking, breaking, but uh, just a, a release from the NHL. We'll get to the game from last night in a second. But the NHL uh, revealed the three nominees for the uh, Jim Gregory General Manager of the Year Award. Uh, Jim Gregory was a great guy, by the way. He, yes. he used to always do day two at the draft. Remember, he would he would be the yeah. guy announcing, and he was just so delightful. And I would always see him, and I had seen him back since you know two thousand one. Just a delightful guy who loved to do that as a job. And Mike, I would say he was still there. Was he still there in Vancouver? Yeah, I think that was his last one. That was his last one, right? And he was in his eighties. Yeah, he was a very well loved guy. Former Leaf general manager yeah. did a great job in the seventies as uh, leading that team to uh, you know. To, to uh, I think it was a, a, a conference final where they got swept by Montreal. But no, he's a, he was a great hockey executive and very well respected throughout the league. Cam Young's asking who has the best wings in Buffalo. It's Gabriel's Gate. Okay, go ahead. Um, stop it. Uh, it's a secret it's place. That I, it's a secret place that I will not reveal publicly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but the three finalists for the GM of the Year Award, hence named the Jim Gregory GM of the Year Award, are Julian Breesbaugh of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Lou Lamorello of the New, of the formerly of the New Jersey Devils and now of the New York Islanders, and Jim Nill of the Dallas Stars. Now, okay, let's let's talk about this because um, Breesbaugh, I think, rolled the dice the most of anybody because. He gave up, and we talked about this before. He yep. gave up two first-round picks and a twenty a, a player in in uh, foot Nolan Foot that they took in the first round in 2019 to get Blake Coleman from New Jersey and Barkley Goudreau from San Jose. And based on the way that those two are playing, and the fact that they still have another year on their contracts, um, th those were good deals. But they paid a very steep price. He also gets gets Zach Bogosian off the scrap heap at the deadline for nothing as as a UFA. And you know, they made some other they 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 had to make some other moves to become cap compliant and sign contracts like Braden Point to a 3-year a bridge deal. So I see the reasons why Breezebois qualifies, but in a year or so Russ and this is a this is a yearly award, but in a year or so, this guy is going to be very challenged because oh, yeah. they're in cap they're in cap trouble. And to be fair, I killed him a couple of years ago um, for not doing much. I think he did a good job. I actually would give it to Jim Nil because even though this guy is not my favorite goalie, as everybody knows in the chat room, he did sign Anton Kudobin to a two year deal. He did sign Joe Pavelski to a deal. He made sure Gorianov didn't sort of lose his place on that team and he's a very important draft pick of theirs. They've so I I I look at Nil and I say, you know what? For people initially they were like, yeah, he's not doing much, right? He those are two key acquisitions right there. I mean, two big well, ones. So I mean I mean the chat rooms bring it up and I'm thinking is also I mean so it was done after round two, which is probably why these are the three guys that are on there. But you can make a very strong case for Joe Sackick. Sure. Very strong case for Joe Sackick. But because yeah, of what you just said, it, it's coming into right, play. But, but again, 
So it's based upon who won round two, right? Yeah. You also talked about if Colorado hadn't had seven guys out, the likelihood they would have advanced. And in terms of the way he built this team from where they were to where they are now and where we all think they can go in the future, right? I kind of think Sackick did a lot better job than even the three guys on the list. Lamarillo should get a lot of play. Bringing in Pajot clearly was it was a good move. He gave up a number one, and he paid a lot to get him. But you see what he did around him in terms of bringing in other guys. So, well, here, in my opinion, could have made the top three. Here, here, here is what Nil did. He he signed Pavelski, very high price contract. He signs Corey Perry on a one year deal. He brings in a veteran on defense in in Sekera, uh, who's on their bottom pairing and has played well in the playoffs. And he signs Kudobin. So all those ads plus getting. You know, he got Essa Lindell extended, um, and you know, I don't know if you you factor in GM of the year, or you factor in the draft, you know, their draft uh, scenarios in terms of drafting Heiskin and drafting Gurianov. But I'm talking about in, for just this year, and those are significant moves. But again, a year down Although the road, Colorado did the same. You can make the same argument, right? He brought in Kadri, he brought in a Mesnikov, right? right? I mean, these 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 are not small moves. Well, but, but again, if we want to go most impactful. To get to where they are in the playoffs, nil has been most impactful with the goalie because Ben Bishop was the goalie we all thought would be the guy to bring him there, and Kudobin at least got him to this round, and now maybe it's a little up in the air, but he did. And Joe Pavelski, while we killed him in the regular season, has been a god in the postseason. Yeah, so I, I think it's Jim Nil. And if you're talking about Lamorello, he makes the trade for Pajot, and he Which signed is big. That was big. And he signs Simeon Varlamov. But other than that, it's basically, you know, it's basically the team that he inherited. Right. That's why Lou just didn't do enough. It's not that, like, Lou did a great job, but he didn't do more than these guys. That's the way I look at it. So, um, but, yeah, we'll, so it'll be interesting to see who wins that. I, I honestly, I would I'd probably pick Brisebois because, because I think he rolled the dice the most. And I think he, he took the most chance. Uh, in that in that situation, but he also, uh, you know, it, it may pay off in a Stanley Cup championship. Well, he's also had the best team too, and, right? And and you know, the thing is, even though even though they've traded the equivalent of three first round draft picks, they still have a phenomenal minor league system. Yeah. You know, now, Davey Jones in the chat room goes, "Sometimes the best moves are the ones you don't make." Yes, that's true, but there's not a GM award for not doing anything for standing pat. Yeah, and uh, and uh, somebody in the chat mentioned the name. For, I think they're talking about the wings, uh, Swanee House. Russ and I have both been to Swanee House. Never had their wings, but if you want a three dollar Jenny Cream Ale, that's where you get it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that would, that that would be more suitable to cleaning off the bird crap off of your car than to drink it. But that was big in college, though. Um, uh, one one um one note on Jim Nill, a great story. He. When he was with um, Detroit, he used to be in charge of their drafts. And he said when it got to you know draft time of the year, which obviously wouldn't be this time of the year, but it just made me think of it because we're getting there. Um, he said one time he was out doing the lawn, but while he was doing the lawn, he was going through their, their draft board and decided that he needed to make a change. So he stopped doing the lawn and ran into the house and called the guys to make sure they got this right. And it was about a week before the draft. So this guy is always thinking about hockey. Yeah. Now he couldn't have thought 
much about the game last night because to me it was fair after the first goal it was a fairly dozy performance by the yeah. Dallas Stars now you know again I think all of us picked Vegas in this series so seeing Vegas bounce back as they did um is not surprising uh having Dallas having trouble beating Robin Leonard who's you know what is it now four straight shutouts or something like that I mean, he's the best playoff goalie we've said it before Right now, he is the best playoff goalie. Everybody could say Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky is the most athletic, probably the best goalie regular season, but Leonard has been better in the playoffs. But, but uh, Jan, Dallas in that game, they were guilty of numerous stupid penalties that gave Vegas a number of power plays. I think their second goal was a power play goal. Um Dallas needs to basically play almost letter perfect like they did in game one to beat Vegas. I don't think they're going to get as many scoring opportunities on the Vegas team defense than they did against Colorado. And with Leonard back there, it's going to be really tough to beat them. I think I still think this series is going to go probably six games because I think Dallas uh, physically can compete with Vegas. But yesterday, Vegas was clear in a way the best team. I talked about yesterday, right, that Vegas looked like they had no legs to them. The three games in four nights, the back-to-back, they came into that contest looking not not looking anything like the team that had won the series against Vancouver. And I'm sure after the first period, it was zip-zip. They were a bit frustrated. And then Pete DeBoer said, obviously, after that first goal, you can he felt a little bit the weight being lifted off all those teams, all the back of everybody, right? So what, what Dallas did was similar to what the Islanders did. Stupid penalties. Gave him the power play. Finally, Carlson took advantage. And then you had the third goal, which was just a beautiful tic-tac-toe kind of passing play, but also showed the patience and the skill that this team had. So, as you said, I found it a bit interesting, though, that he turned to Ottinger in the third period. Give him a little work and also just trying to change the narrative a little bit and trying to change the the viewpoint a little bit. But they just didn't keep up at all in the third. I mean, they kind of just clamped down defensively and just kind of played out the win without putting too much pressure on Ottinger at all in that third period. Yeah, I, I think Bo- I mean, Bonus said it in the post game. He basically said after two periods he was surprised the score wasn't 6 nothing, and it probably would have been that ha- you know, if it wasn't for Kudobin. So I think it was simply give him a rest because, you know, he had played – uh, three games and five nights, and you know they know that they. He's you know it's, it's clear that Bishop is never going to get back in there again. It's going right. to be over the rest of the way. So this was an opportunity with a game that clearly was out of their reach at three nothing. That they they weren't going to make a and if they made a comeback, then great. But uh, I think they it was an opportunity to give them a, to give them a little bit of a rest. Uh, again, uh, let's. I want to mention that. In the post game, listening to Pacioretty, who I have great respect for, he knew. He's like, look, that wasn't a good game for us. We knew it. We knew we had to up our game, and they did, and Dallas didn't. And now Dallas is going to have to face that upped, amped-up Vegas team. But also, I noticed that Riley Smith again was starting to get chances. I got to say this one more time. One more time, Dale Talon traded Riley Smith and they made it seem like this was a positive in the day. And his $25 million contract to Vegas for a fourth round pick. No, no, it's it's it's, it's worse than that. They 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 gave them Marcia so to take right. Smith. Smith. Yes. Right. So, so had a pretty good year that year for Florida as well. Right. And and they get a fourth round pick. That's it. And Smith, by the way, lifetime in the playoffs is 54 points in 62 games with 18 goals. 
Like this is one of the worst moves that you could ever possibly make. And you got to believe that GMs still might do it again in this next, next one because of cap considerations. Well, well Shea, right. Shea move was also a pretty well, yeah, move I, was gonna, I, I mean, that yeah. ranked right up there. Oh yeah. It well, does. I was, I was, was going to mention it. Was and Alex Tuck big, big, well, right. I mean, Chuck Fletcher with the Alex Tuck and, uh, and Halla situation, but, yeah. but Anna, to me, Anaheim is the worst because they were stuck because Kevin Bieksa wouldn't waive his no-move clause, and they didn't want to lose Votnin or Josh Manson. Votnin, who they ended up trading a year, I believe, a year later. So they gave, they traded them Shea Theodore to prevent them from taking those guys. And I think they took I can't they, they took um, a defenseman who was uh, already I think he was on the, on the injured list. I can't remember who it was, but so maybe somebody in the chat knows. But but basically they gave Shea Theodore away. And remember, yeah. Shea Theodore was a was a prospect that a lot of teams were very interested in. Oh so yeah, that- he was an offensive defenseman out of Seattle. Like I was high on him in the draft. He was a known a known guy, and everybody knew if he got a little stronger, he'd be very dangerous. Now, uh, interesting thing I saw um, earlier this morning: uh, Jesse Granger, who covers the Vegas, I think it's for the Athletic, but I'm not sure. I'm not looking at his profile right now on, on Twitter. But he reported that uh, he says, "My belief is at this point, the Golden Knights' plan is to sign Robin Leonard to an extension." And sources around the league have indicated to me that those talks may be already on underway. What I'm here, you know, so that's not a surprise based on all of a sudden that the chatter from Alan Walsh and the the fact that. Uh, uh, that uh, Mark Andre Fleury is is the number the now the number two. So if we interpret that, first of all, what do you what do you think if Leonard if the, if Vegas goes on to the Stanley Cup final, Leonard is getting on a long term deal with uh, with Vegas? I would think he's going to get about as much as as Fleury is right now in the six six and a half to seven. Yeah, he's going to get that same deal. I mean, there's no reason not to give it to him. He's proving it at the most important time of the year. So I think you have to give it to him. And I think if you've looked at Leonard, he's been a pretty cool customer in, in most of these games. I mean, he really has gotten it all under control. You have to give him that deal. And Flurry's definitely getting traded. Like, there's no question. Now, Jan, do you think – I mean, we know that Lundquist is a different story than a guy like Flurry. Lundquist is um, – or Flurry's 35. How old is, is, is Hank? He's 37. Yeah, okay. And he's got one year left at over $8 million. $8.5 million, but that $8.5 million cap. Right. But I think it's $4.5 million salary because technically because of the way they structured it. Right. It would have been $5.5 million. He got a million dollars in terms of the signing bonus already. Right. Whereas Fleury is a $7 million cap hit, but I'm not sure. I'm looking up the money right now to see uh, how much it actually is in terms of actual dollars. Uh, Fleury is $7 million. Uh, the last two years of the deal, six and a half and six. So they they front loaded it for this year, but still, the, I think the key the key for that is the seven million dollar cap hit. I don't know if they can trade a thirty five year old flurry and see if anybody takes him at seven million. I, I would think they'd probably have to shave a million or two off of that. Likely, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, you, you need up to half of it to move him. Um, the, so the problem I'll use quote unquote is. Will somebody look to make a move early and try to eat it, or they'll wait to the, the as we talked about the Goldie musical chairs ends and see who's left without a partner and see if they can move him then? No, I think somebody I mean, would try and get Flurry early because he's a guy that you know can lead you there. 
Um, if someone like Calgary wanted to get involved, they would probably throw Riddich in the deal. So there's a backup for them and then give them something else. I, I think, I think you could work that out. And I think a team would, would take flurry early because him on the market, probably the best guy you can get on the market. Right. And you know, For a one year run, Mark my well, words. He's, I mean, but he's, got, he's got two. I know, but two I'm saying, I know that, but for a one year run, like I'm thinking I'm going this year, I'm going to take Flurry. I don't know if he's good for a two-year run, but I think he's yeah, good for a one-year We've year talked run. about it already. Look at his numbers the last several years. His his numbers have declined. Yeah, but his defense that first year in Vegas. He's still not on a top defensive team. Nowhere close well, to so that. Wait, Leonard Leonard is is Leonard's better than Flurry as a goalie right now. Okay, but if Flurry had a better defense, he'd be better. So all who's right. got a better defense that could that could trade for him? Here you go. Um, all right, uh, Flurry. First year, 46 games, 927 save percentage, 2.24 goals against. Uh, nine, same save percentage in the playoffs in 20 games. Fantastic. Second year, 61 games, which is too many for a 35, now 35-year-old. Yeah. Uh, 2.50, still respectable, 913 save percentage, which is a little above average, but not right. fantastic. Right. And look this year. This year, 49 games. 2.77 goals against 905. That's below average. So he's not, as I say, he's not trending in the right direction. But I will also years. Say, and, and you have two more years on the contract. I know. But here's the thing about Flurry. He's not the kind of guy that probably likes the bubble at all. And I think he's, I'm, I'm just telling you, the way okay. he is as a personality, as an athlete, I think if you get back to like regular hockey, he's a different goalie too. But the I numbers did. he posted this year. I know. We're, we're dirt without a bubble. No, no, I know. But what's his playoff numbers? I mean, he did have the one good game. Is that the only game he played? This year, his playoff numbers, I think it was a nine. Um, hold on a second. I'm pulling it up. Because I still. Uh, nine, ten save percentage four in four games, 2.27. Yeah, I still think he can improve on that with a team that's a little bit. The question, though, is where, where, who's going to want to acquire him? And where, if he has, does he have a no movement clause, Mike? Uh, he, geez, sorry. I mean, Colorado may be a team that no, looks he, like has that. A, he has a modified no trade. Well, that was well, that the problem was, is you have two guys who are signed also, right? Both, it both doesn't matter. You can figure that out. Yeah, no, I mean, you can, I mean, you, you can, can move Francis if you had to, like you, you can bear, to. you could bury half of Francis's contract and right. right. Colorado Springs or wherever their minor yeah. league team is. Um, well, okay, this and this is the thing if you're talking about trading flurry. Um, Colorado was one of the teams that I, I would have looked at, would have looked at because they have the cap space and they have a, they have a window. Um, I don't think as many, I know somebody mentioned in the chat, I don't think that, it, that flurry in Toronto is a good fit. Not because, not because he's not a good goaltender and not because, uh, I think it's the cap hit. And I think it's the fact that he's declining. I think the Leafs, if anything, they're going to go younger. Yeah, their defense isn't good enough either. Like, I think that would be problematic um i think if for whatever reason if calgary no if, if minnesota like were able to move dubnik if they decided that's what they wanted to do and brought in flurry and, and split him and Staylock, that could be a big upgrade for them and they have a pretty good defense still yeah um, so a couple, a couple Edmonton, of Edmonton's definitely, as Mir's right, Edmonton's yeah. definitely a possibility. I mean, Edmonton's definitely in the goal. possibility for everything because we still don't even know what Edmonton is. Right. right. We also know that, I mean, it depends if the two young kids, Bouchard and take, take, take that step forward to be able right. to be part of that blue line next year. Right. 
Now, one thing, one thing about the one more thing about the game last night, and then we'll move on. Um, I thought that the NBC crew sort of overemphasized the importance of Ryan Reeves returning. To, oh, to definitely. The I mean, it was like okay, uh, and in fact, like they were making a big deal about him drawing a penalty on Klingberg. Klingberg knocked Reeves on his ass. I mean, it was the you know, which was surprising to me because Klingberg doesn't have a reputation of being a big tough defenseman. He not he knocked Reeves. He took a penalty, but in, is Reeves a spark plug? And they purposely use him on the first shift of the game to to stir up things. Yeah, and yeah, I'm not saying he's not an ineffective player, but but they was like it was like it was like Wayne Gretzky was coming back. With yeah, him. for under ten minutes, they made too much. Well, I think part of it also is they look so lifeless, quote unquote, in game one. Yeah. But also you have to factor, and we talked about, right, the three games in four nights, the back-to-back yeah. games, was probably a bigger contributor than the return of Reeves to the lineup. Getting that extra day of rest, to me, rejuvenated them more. But I do think Reeves can be a spark plug because he will take the body and will shake things up, but he's got to play on the right side of the edge. Too often he goes over the edge. Yeah. All right. Um, let's talk about a couple different things here. Um, interesting column from Pierre Lebrun. Uh, in the athletic yesterday uh, interview with uh, Wayne Simmons and uh, you know, Wayne Simmons, okay, you know, Russ obviously has watched a lot of him. Uh, I've interviewed him a lot. And, <laughs> and, really and, uh, great, great guy. Uh, yeah. Very has been a very good, has had a very good NHL career. Excellent. But I think most people recognize that he is not the player he was three or four years ago. Although yes, last year, and it was mostly remember, he signed a one-year, five million dollar contract with New, with New Jersey, and part of that was to get to the cap floor for the Devils. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't because because Simmons was clearly declining when Philadelphia traded him to Nashville. Oh yeah, he did, he did almost nothing with the Predators in the playoffs, and then he goes to the Devils, and the Devils signed him to a one-year deal, and half and three quarters of the way through the season, they trade him to Buffalo and eat fifty percent of the salary. Um, and he didn't really account himself that greatly with Buffalo. You know, what I'm saying here is he's still an effective player. He's still a good player. He's just not a $5 million player. No, anymore. he's just a guy that now can can play that truculent hockey. He doesn't skate nearly as well as he used to. But right. if you have the puck in the offensive end, you need a guy to go in the corner, he can do that. If you want him to start off a period and start trouble like Ryan Reeves, he could do that. If yeah. you want to just put him in to cause trouble for a few shifts, he can do that. He's now, still a decent hockey player. If he gets around the net, he still could score a little bit, but right. his hands aren't worth what they were either. Now, the, the the subject of the column was his future, and he's from the Toronto area. He, him and his wife moved north of Toronto a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and there has been, and you know, me covering the Leafs, I know that the word about Simmons and the Leafs have been out there for three or four years. But now with him being a UFA uh, and – probably the situation around the league where not a lot of teams are going to have a lot of cap space. He may be one of these veterans who signs a one-year deal for like somebody in the chat was suggesting, like say a million dollars, a little over veteran minimum. Um, and I know in the column, you know, he was still referencing the possibility that Buffalo is it would be interested, but Buffalo is a non-playoff team. Right. This could be, this could be a, a marriage for the Leafs that would make a lot of sense. Ross. I mean, yeah. You pair him on the second on the fourth line with Spezza if he comes back, who actually had a pretty good year. And as Russ said, second line power play, put him in front of the net a little bit, and that would kind of be his usage. You can't play him a ton. The speed is no the speed, which was not great to begin with, is no longer there. The hands aren't necessarily there, but you're not looking for him to score 30 goals again. You can probably get 10 to 12, maybe a little more 
in that kind of usage. And you also have a fourth line that also has a bit of an identity and won't cost you a ton to put together. No, it yeah. won't cost you a ton. But again, with Spezza, who's also not fleet of foot, you have now created yourself a very slow fourth line, which I'm not sure you'd want to do. To me, this would be like, like why would the Leafs want to sign like Eric Lindros at the end of his career? They're, they would never do that. But they did. And they would do it again if they did it with Wayne Simmons. It would be the same kind of mistake. It would be like signing him two or three years after the fact. And I wouldn't do it if I were the Leafs. So where's a better fit then, Russ? I don't know if there's a good fit anywhere. I don't know if I would sign Wayne Simmons. Honestly, I mean, I like the guy. I just watched him play last year, and I said he has too much mileage on him. He's been beat up so much. He's been a warrior. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't sign him. I, I For my team, I would not take Wayne Simmons under any circumstances because even now you need to have a certain amount of speed on the fourth line. There's really no place you could hide him. Now, you made sense in what you said, Jan, and if you want to throw him in front of the net on the second power play, fine. But, again, I think he slows the fourth line up too much. I just – I, I wouldn't sign him. Well, I, I heard me say it because I really like the guy. I don't think he would be a fourth liner. Uh, mm. I think he would. I think he would probably be a third liner. With who? Uh, with, with if, if Toronto signed him? I think no, no. But with who? Who's he going to play with? He would probably play with a guy like like Kerfoot and uh, and maybe a Barabanov or. Okay, so they're going to have to wait. Yeah, they're going to have to get. They're going to have to wait. Let him get into the zone first, and then set things up which is problematic. Like it's going to slow down the flow for them. If they, if they want to have that be a cycling line. Yeah. Okay. Cause Kerfoot could do that. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, well, let's say this. I, I think that Wayne and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm being put in a position of speaking for Wayne Simmons, but I don't think Wayne Simmons thinks he's a fourth line guy. I think he thinks he's he's a bottom maybe a bottom six guy, but I think he still thinks he can score maybe 15 to 20 goals. Oh, and, he can't do that. Right. Now, I, I don't know if that's possible. But, he will tell and say he can do that because he's a proud guy. He can't right, do that. Right. Now, yeah, that, and that's the thing. If he's going to be somebody that the Leafs sign, it's probably going to be close to the veteran minimum. And well, you got to go, look at the, the precipitous drop he took from yeah. 2017, okay. 31 goals, 24 goals, 17 goals combined eight goals like it's the drop is undeniable he's not a scorer anymore i mean i don't think no. there's any question about that no um, what he used to do in the past is clearly not what he can do now and most of those goals did come in front of the net most of them right all right um let's 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 switch to some draft talk there was a uh yeah. there was some ch uh, mentioned yesterday that the draft uh, has been the draft dates has been moved by a couple of days. I believe what it's in now, Russ, the six, sixth and seventh. Sixth and seventh, seventh I can, is, the, I, is the draft free agency starts the ninth. Yeah, right. I, can, I can confirm that for sure because I'm going to be working that day. <laughs> <laughs> which one? What do you mean, which one? You said we just said three dates. You said I'm going to be working. Oh, that the draft. Day. It'll be two of the draft days. Yeah, and the sixth and seventh is a Tuesday, Tuesday and Wednesday. Wednesday, Wednesday which is yeah. for me. I'm pretty happy because I actually get to watch it this year. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, but okay. So I, the suspense sort of is delayed here because obviously everybody knows that the number one pick is going to be, I don't think there's, in spite of the fact that a lot of people have, have said, well, maybe the, maybe the, the Rangers are taking there's Lafreniere. There's no trade in the world that they would take. Yeah. The Rangers are taking Lafreniere. Well, you know, some guy in my blog, because I'm going to be running a mock draft proposed, you know, trading the two, any guy off the Kings roster next year's number one and maybe more. 
they're not going to do that. Why would the Kings do that? Number one and other stuff. They they might consider it, though. I still don't think they're doing it. The Kings would never do that. I, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just yeah. saying. I know, no, I know. Overpay so substantially that you couldn't turn it down. When is the last time we've seen an NHL team do that? Eric Lindros. Yeah, it's been a few the, years. The but what the, the the Rick Nash draft wasn't it? Yeah, but not even that much. What this is, this offer is more like the Lindros stuff. And yeah, that was after the fact. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not. It's just not happening. It's just not um, happening. Now, the, like I said, the suspense starts at number two. It, I don't think. It's, I don't think it's particularly. I mean, we. I, I think they're. I think they're going Byfield personally. I mean, right. I would be shocked almost if they didn't. Even though they added Turcotte, they have Velarde, they have a bunch of centers in the system. But I just think Byfield the best behind Lafreniere in terms of prospects. I, I would look at it this way. I ranked Byfield second because I believe he's the second best guy. But is it possible because Stutzla started to play? And, and I interviewed him like three months ago. Is it possible because he started to play some center this year, has started to work on faceoffs, that they pull a Columbus Blue Jackets and say, you know, we love Byfield too, but if Stutzel could really play center, he's capable of possibly scoring more points than Byfield in a season, which I think there's a chance of. My feeling is I go with the guy that has the history of being a center his whole career so far – uh, and a very physical one at that. And that's why, and, and again, the offense is going to be there too. I, I don't think it'll be as high as Stutzla, but I think his entire game is better in the sense that he's better defensively than Stutzla, where Stutzla definitely has more offense and, and more finesse. There's no question. Speed is actually close. Byfield, he's not like acceleration-wise, he's not the fastest guy, right? But when he gets going – he can streak down the ice and surprise the hell out of you and gets a lot of stretch passes. And I've seen the stretch passes. So he is a guy who I would take, but can I tell you it's a hundred percent slam dunk now that the Kings are taking him? No, I think it's about 90%. But I think with the extra work that they had to do and the extra phone calls they got to make and everything else, they probably have had some serious discussions about it. Okay, I have to I have to rip this while while it's up here. Would why in God's green earth would Pierre Dorian trade his best player and the three and five? I don't, for, for, I mean, I don't like, think he would. But if they offered that, the Rangers might oh, the Rangers seriously would, consider that. Jeff Gordon would would would, would jump through hoops, I think, to do that. Yes, but I don't I don't think Ottawa would do it because Ottawa really does need men. They need bodies. They can't afford to give up one of their starters and the future just to get this guy for marketing. They can't remember, remember they experimented with Kachuk at center last year, late in the season. If they think he can actually be a center, he's big and tough and mean, just like his yeah. brother is. And if he can effectively play the center and make the make the translate transition like Pierre Luc Dubois did in Columbus, you're not moving that guy for anything. No, they're not. I'll tell you why they're not moving him. They're not moving him because of the marketability. He's already got a lot of buzz. Uh, I saw Beckett put a, a Ranger picture. They photoshopped the Ranger picture on their cover for Lafreniere. We're going to see a lot of that in the next few weeks. They Their attendance has sagged. This will help their attendance. They like to sell memorabilia. He will sell it. He will sell, uh, and it, he'll, he'll sell it in Canada too, which again, I don't think a lot of their players do. Uh, so they will sell a lot of them, 
And also, I mean, again, you look at him, he is going to get so much coverage and, and they, even though at times it doesn't seem like they want the coverage, they sort of need it now because now they're going through like a new phase and eventually Lundquist will be gone and the spotlight will be on him. And, and that's something the Rangers really do need. And it's, you know, the last time the Rangers have had the spotlight be on a forward, you know, you might have to go back to Jean Rattel for that. Now, Ottawa is in a very, I think almost a, a very passive position because obviously they're going to take it three who LA isn't going to take it to. Like if it's Stutzla, they take Byfield. If it's Byfield, they probably take Stutzla unless there's somebody that they like that, that nobody knows about. And then at five, well, I will say this. Okay. The clue that Pierre Dorian gave us, and even though I haven't done a mock yet, um, he said whoever we get is going to play this year. So clearly he is going to go with either Stutzla or Byfield because okay. when you look down the list, or at least when I look down the list, <coughs> there's very few players that are going to play this year. Those are three of them at the top. And if that's what he's promising his fan base, then that's to me, that's the way he's going to go. Yeah. And then, I mean, Jan Detroit is in the unenviable position of being the sort of the sandwich pick in between the two Ottawa picks. So, so if we, if it goes Lafreniere, uh, Stutzla, Byfield, or Byfield Stutzla, then they're fourth. And now, if it's me and you're and you're Steve Eiserman, and you look at the, the 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 needs of that franchise, to me, I would I would take Drysdale because I think their defense, even though they drafted Cider last year, they they really their defense is pitiful, and they I think they need to build from the goal out. They still need a goaltender, which is. They, could they take Askarov this early, Russ? We've talked about they this could. before. They could. Based they, on did what, they did it with Sider last year, right? Made a bold move taking him. Based on what Kevin Allen said, there's no question they could. Um, I mean, Drysdale's the best defenseman for me in this draft. Why would they pass on him, right? Because they're not particularly strong defensively. And, yeah, he's not going to play right away. But in a few years, you'll get a great defenseman who could possibly be a top pairing guy. Like I think, honestly, I think that is the best pick for them. But if they take Oscarov, it wouldn't shock me. And if they went forward, like if you want to talk about marketing, Cole Perfetti just was playing in Saginaw. So he's an easy guy to market and he is great to talk to. He is super smart, like really super smart. He's a smart human being. And, and he's also the smartest hockey player in this draft. I look at it that way and I say, any of those guys make sense. So does then does so Ottawa clearly needs a goalie, right? We've talked about would, yes. would they take Askarov or is that too early for them? And would they take Drysdale if he slipped to five? Well, or Fetty? If they feel Detroit is going to take Askarov fourth, then they might just take him third and get their other players with their other picks. Well, okay, but hold on, it's, but yeah. I don't think they're going to do that. It, it's it's simple to do this because okay we don't know where Askarov is going he could go as high as four he could go into the teens you never you never know the way I, I don't think there's it's likely but if you look at the teams at the top half of the first round uh, and you know I, I, like we just said I don't think I don't think he's going one two or three but Detroit they need a franchise goalie Ottawa they need a franchise goalie maybe Anaheim starts to think that. 
uh, you know, Gibson, who's in his mid-20s, but maybe they, they want their future prospect number one. New Jersey needs it. Needs I mean, maybe Blackwood is the, is the guy, but, you know, um, with Buffalo, Ukapeka Lukanen is hasn't played an NHL game yet, so you don't know where he is. Minnesota is uh, – I know that they, they think a lot of uh, – I think it's Capo Cajonan. Yeah, he yep. was the AHL goalie of the year. Uh, Winnipeg, Winnipeg. Winnipeg's got Hullabuck. Nashville is 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 sorely lacking in goal right now. With uh, but but you can remember Askarov is not going to play next year. He's going to probably be a couple years at least before he before he comes in the NHL. Florida has got uh, Spencer Knight and they've got Bobrovsky. Carolina they'd want a goalie. Edmonton they'd want a goalie. Toronto they'd want a goalie. So the, there's there's six seven teams in the top fifteen that might take Askarov. Yeah, there. I mean I know. Look. I know where everybody thinks he's going to go, but you never know what a team's going to do. And we go back to, to Cider last year. From my early rankings, I had him in the top 10, and people thought I was crazy. Mm -hmm. But then was I crazy? I mean, he got taken sixth. So even though you think Askarov's going to go somewhere between five and 10, that doesn't mean Eiserman thinks that. And yeah. that's where we, you know, there is always a chance because, again, this is a franchise goalie. This isn't just, you know, hey, I'm going to take – look, Jake Ottinger was a first-round goalie. Uh, it was asked of me on draft day for the pre-show on SiriusXM, what goalie's going first round? And I said Jake Ottinger in that draft. Mm -hmm. And he did. And I think he'll be a very good goalie. I don't know if he's a franchise goalie. Oscarov looks like he could be a franchise goalie. And so that is something where that saves Detroit a lot of money – and a lot of legwork and development if that turns out to be true. So that's something where you have to weigh it out and say, okay, is it worth losing Perfetti, Rossi, those guys to get this goalie because, and we know it's a crapshoot, but so, you know, even though those other guys are terrific players, they're technically a crapshoot too. And, th and think of it this way, in terms of development, most of your development with a guy with a guy like Askarov is going to be done by their by the KHL team right. because you know like, like what happened with Ilya Samsonov he was over in the KHL for two or three years before he came over to play in the AHL and so that's exactly what Eiserman would do and it's again it's it's very nice for him to do that because he doesn't have to worry after a couple of years of signing the guy to an ELC there's benefits there's definite benefits so, Russ, how does he compare prospect-wise to Spencer Knight? Well, I think Spencer Knight is better. But I've also seen Spencer Knight a little bit more. Right. I've seen Oskarov, you know, with the struggling in, in the World Juniors, but I also felt like, hey, he was the youngest guy in that tournament. That could happen to anybody. I feel like Oskarov is more athletic than Spencer Knight, but Spencer Knight has, like, a core base of strength that I've probably never seen in another goalie, like, I could post a picture from the um, from the combine, and if you want to talk like legs from tree trunks, they used to say, "Oh, Mike Richter's got legs from tree trunks." Yeah. <laughs> Nothing compared to Spencer Knight. It's like a football player's, you know, tree trunks, and and you know, also great all around. So I, I think Knight is better, but I also think you know Knight's a franchise goalie too. So I think again, the difference between Oskarov and the rest of the goalies in this draft is great. Yeah, and so, you know, that's the other factor. 
remember and Bardicus in the chat was is talking about Detroit's goalie pipeline is heinous. And yes, but this is this is the thing with Detroit. I mean, it's gonna take Eiserman a couple to three years to get that team back to a level of respectability because they first of all, he's got to clear out bad contracts and he's got to at the same time, you know, replenish the organization with young with young players. They've got some players that it, already in the organization like Valeno, like Zadina. Well like let's that. answer that because because Funky goes, well if you if 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 Askarov doesn't prove out at four, it looks bad. Well, it's not going to look great if Zadina doesn't prove out, and we all thought Zadina would play, and I still think he's going to, and it took him a little longer. So they're all a risk, guys. There's very few sure things in a draft, honestly. Yeah, and I mean, we you know we think that the Detroit has a you know they don't have any superstar youngsters. I mean, no. Cider's Cider could be a a really good top pairing shutdown guy. You know, Larkin's an A, but he's not an A plus. Right. Cider's a B or a B plus. You know, they have Anthony, a lot of those guys. Yeah, Anthony Mantha is a Mantha's is a, like a B or a B plus. Right. So, but they 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 need those young players that they've drafted in the top rounds. Like like I said, Rasmussen, uh, um, uh, Zadina, Valeno. They need those guys. But I don't think any of them are going to be superstars. They're going to be those. So those supplementary secondary type players, but they still need to draft those superstars. Maybe bottoming out the next year or two, they'll get that top pick to be able to. to I mean, you got to remember, Askarov is very young, so yeah. you're not going to see him for a while. Right. Uh, probably, he'd probably stay in Russia for two or three years. If Ranger fans were asked, should we draft Shesterkin, you know, fifth or sixth overall a few years ago, would they have done it? A lot of them would have shied away, but now when you see the guy, you wouldn't be shying away. Same thing with Sorokin. A lot, you know, again, you we're in an era now where there's a lot of, you know, there was a time when there was the Finnish pipeline for goalies, and now there's a Russian pipeline for goalies. Um, take some questions from the chat here. Uh, Andrew Perry asks, "How screwed are the Penguins with their prospect system?" I mean, not screwed. They, you know, here's the well, funny thing. I was going to say, what prospect system? Because they. No, I mean, Look, they've had to trade some, but if you want to talk about in the last five years, one of the best drafting teams, it's them because they never draft high and they have a great success rate. So I don't worry about them that much in that regard. But yeah, for the longer you're trading picks, you are going to have a problem. I don't think they're screwed yet because here's where they, they make it up. They make it up on the college free agent pipeline. That has been massive for them. And until they get screwed that way, they're never really screwed because, again, they've been able to pick up defensemen. They've been, you know, I still think Kalen Addison is a top pick. Hallander, I hated to see go, but, you know, sometimes you got to make these trades. Um, last year's Poulin, I think Poulin's a little bit of a dice roll, but I think he's a good power forward. I actually think Jug Caulfield can play. I, I look at them and I say, you know, Zach Lawson, I think, is going to play. It's, that's Jeremy's brother. Both right. play the same position. They still have players, but again, for as long as they're getting their college free agents, they're in good shape, man. Well, but but I mean, they they traded Hallander in the deal with Cap, and then they traded yeah. they traded Addison in the deal with uh for Jason Zucker. So you know the only the only fir the only first round pick they've had in the last oh my god six years is Poulin. Okay, but how many of these are picks? 
Brian Rust, Chris Tang, we won't count because he's obviously a superstar. Gensel, uh, Marino, they signed. Well, they traded for him. They traded for him because he wasn't going to sign with that. Team. Teddy Bluger was a brilliant pick. You know, I liked him all along, and he's another high draft pick. Right. Dominic Simone is playing. Most of them are draft picks, guys. That, or, or you know, Zach Aston Reese was a college free agent. Yep. They, they've been able to get college free agents. They really then, have. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that and, is, and none of them were superstars, but you have to, except for Gensel's real close, but you have to have those guys to fill in for the Crosbys and Malkins. And maybe Latang's going to get traded now. We'll, well see. Jan, there was an interesting report from Rob Rossi in the Athletic yesterday regarding Latang. And Latang basically saying he would love to finish his career in Pittsburgh, but he thinks that the reality is that he thinks he's going to get traded before next season. Um, again, here's another situation where I, I I don't know. It's it's nice to say okay, we're going to trade this guy. Latang has a history of injury problems. He's making seven point two five million for another two years. Easier said than done that you can trade him. Okay, but how about who's, this, Mike? Who's replacing him on their blue line? Right. I mean, you just traded a number one pick and a prospect to bring in Casper Kapanen to be a first or second line pair winger, and now you're going to go ahead and trade your number one blue liner? I mean, wh where's the logic in that? I would right. say this. In the last two years, as injured as he's been, he's still played 61 and 65 games, and he's had 100 points combined. Name me how many defensemen in the league have done that. No Leafs defensemen. No Ranger defenseman. Like, I'm just telling you, that's – even though we're talking about Chris Letang after, like, the medical problems he had, and he had serious medical problems. I think he's a Hall of Famer because of that, because we all thought with the pulmonary problem, he's probably never coming back, and he was great. Mm -hmm. But when you when you talk about – oh, no, I'm sorry. Letang was a stroke, right? He had a, a – yes. one of those, Yeah, he had a stroke. The fact that he's done this – but he's had 100 points in the last two years, like – if this is if this is decline, a lot of teams will be lining up for that decline. Right. So I mean, if they traded Latang and didn't add another defenseman, their de defense next year would be Dumoulin, Marino, Pedersen, Ricola, uh, uh, Jack Johnson. That's not good. No. Not great. I mean, maybe they plug in a, a free agent here or there, somebody willing to take a, a short term one year deal. Uh, but it's not that that that's not a Stanley Cup winning defense, and you can say, well, they won a Stanley Cup with Ron Hainsey and and Oli Mata being uh, or Brian Dumoulin being their top pair. But again, that was Crosby two or three years ago at age twenty nine or thirty. He's thirty. He's thirty one or thirty two now. Everybody's getting older. They've got a limited window. I, I don't think they can win a cup championship without Latang or with a def without a defenseman you know are they going to go out and trade for Oliver Ekman Larson okay then what are you trading for right so right. yeah so let's answer this question please yeah so okay this this is the thing and this came up this came up a, a week or so ago why would Bill Zito trade Ekblad now you can say Aaron Ekblad is not the same as Aaron Ekblad before the concussions but He's still Aaron Ekblad, and he's still a pretty good top. He parent. had his highest point total as an NHLer last year. Right. So I he mean, played in sixty-seven games. Like I can't. And again, if you want to just turn Aaron Ekblad into a shutdown guy, you can do that. 
but they need the offense too. I would not do that. I happen to think he's only 24. If he goes a year without having a concussion, you might actually see a better Aaron Eckblad this next year or the year after simply because the same as Crosby, he's still young. He might actually still continue to get back what we thought he lost, but he's still at 41 points. Jan, if, if Aaron Eck, if Aaron Eckblad is on the trade market, if I'm Kyle Dubas, I've, I've pitched a tent in Bill Zito's front lawn. Because I I, I don't I, I don't I mean if, if I'm Bill Zito, the first thing I'm trying to trade off of my blue line is find somebody who would take, take Mike take, Matheson, but take, or first try to take because Strawman's got I think two years left and he's aging. But if not if not Strawman, then somebody who would take Matheson off my hands. And Matheson is six more years. At here's here's what's incredible about Matheson, Jan. Then I'll let you answer. Not only did I know it was a bad signing, but again, when Talon thought that he saw a little Duncan Keith in him, four years worth of points for Matheson is 91 points. Four years. That's yeah. it. That's all I have to say. I, I, if, I, if, if I'm Toronto and Aaron Eckblad is, and Aaron Eckblad is truly available, I'm offering William Nealander right this second. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look. Nylander fit clearly fits the bill of a first pair defenseman. Um, offensively, he's been probably what we've advertised. Yep. Defensively, we know he's he's getting better. Clearly, the only issue is the concussions and some of the other injuries. But when he's on the ice, he's a difference maker. The probably the only thing we're going to see is is Florida really going to be in cost cutting and savings mode, or are they really looking to replenish and build up their roster? So if they're if they're trading Ekblad, are they bringing in salary and talent with him? Or they're just looking to move salary to be able to to be able to get rid of the twenty million or so that was rumored last year before they ended up moving Trocheck. I think, excuse me, I think Zito's first course of action will be trying to get some sort of draft pick for Mike Hoffman for negotiating rights. You know, I think you could get a sixth rounder for that. You might as well not just let him walk. I think he's going to try and do that for some of the uh, UFAs. And get some more picks in this draft. I actually think that's his first thing he's going to do. He's probably and he's probably going to try to see if he can get get Dadenoff uh, on a contract. Yes, for it sounds like they have a chance to re-sign Dadenoff where they may need him desperately. Yeah, because he was top line, second line guy. Yep. So um, what, but, what are you giving him? Four years, five. I'll give him four. How many? But how much money? Well, five, what do you what do you have? Fifty points. He had fifty or more points last year, didn't he? Yep. Dad yeah, he's he's got to get five and a half. I give him five and a half for, for four. I mean, that's, you know, he, okay, let's see. He had the last th three years after, three years in the NHL after playing for St. Petersburg, he's had 28, 28, and 25. Yeah. Remarkably consistent. And yeah. I, I think he was making in the fours. So yeah. he, I would say four five. years. Yeah, sign here. But he is thirty. He is thirty-one, and that's the other thing you got to be scared about. It's all right. So, I mean, it's only four years. Four years. Why am I going five? He signed a three-year, twelve million dollar contract with him when he came overseas. Yeah. Now, granted, Florida has the advantage of the Florida state tax, so they could pay him a little less, and he gets more of that money, and it's a flat cap. But if they try to lowball him too much, and I'm sure he wants to stay in Florida rather than you know go you know I'm just go play for Edmonton, uh, and especially in the winters. But 
you know, is it worth a million a million dollars extra to go play for the Oilers? And by the way, I don't know if I want to even play for Colorado because they had snow yesterday. Yeah, I know. I know. Please, I'm not looking forward to this winter for many reasons. But yeah, no, I, I don't think Hoffman is coming back there, and I think they're interested in dadding off. But that's, I mean, that. But you, you may be right, Ross. It's like, I mean, yeah, the, you can you can get a third round pick for negotiating rights for Hoffman, and that's yeah, a at least you don't have. I mean, but, at, at best, best you might you might have to settle for a fifth or sixth because there might be a team that says, eh, we're yeah, not risk. Um, no, one one more thing about uh, Vancouver. We talked about them yesterday. Jim Benning was on Vancouver radio, and basically, you know, I, I uh, said that you know they're going to be looking to clear clear some salary in the in the next couple of weeks. Obviously, with with you know the new contract for Hughes, you know they can sign Hughes, they can extend Pedersen uh, in, during this offseason because they're entering the final year of their entry level contract. So they may want to get that business out of the way and maybe. You know, unlike you know, say Toronto with Mitch Marner, they don't want those players to put one more really good year on their resume and then be able to to uh, to attract big big money. Whereas they could give them really good money and and save maybe a little bit on the long term. But I look I look at the the, the Canucks roster and where they they not sure what happened there. Signed off on one and signed in on the other. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah, because I had a bad echo. Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, where they uh, where they could save money, you know, you've got Tanner Pearson and Brendan Sutter, both make one making close to four million, other make other making over than four million, entering the final year of their contracts. So those might be easy contracts to move. Uh, Sven Barchi, I believe, was sent sent to the minors, so that might be a buyout. Yeah, it's a, probably a buyout. Um, and the, the J, I mean, the Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel deals though. See, these were deals a couple years ago, Russ, that we talked about that we said, these make no sense for a team that was in the midst of a rebuild. And now when they're good, that that's too much money for third, fourth liners. Yeah, it is too much money for third and fourth liners. I mean, you got to watch that. I mean, there's, there's value to those guys, but those are the easier guys to replace with younger players too. And you don't need like a veteran fourth line anymore in the NHL. You need at least one good veteran on the fourth line. Like the Islanders have Clutterbuck. You need a guy like that, but you don't need three guys like that. And and Jan, you know, they want to re-sign Tyler to Foley after trading significant prospects for him, but that's going to cost. So it's either they find teams that are willing to take on salary and them giving, and they don't have, I think they don't have a first or a second round draft pick. So they don't have the draft picks to be able to convince these teams to, to take money on for them. They'd have to trade prospects. You know, they might have to trade like an Ole Ulevi or somebody like that to get a, or a Hoaglander or somebody like that to get a team to take one of those players on and open up salary. Right. But those kind of names are the names you clearly don't even want to move even to move salary, right? Which is no. we talked about buyouts and whether or not they're willing to dip into their pocket and do that. But the question is the savings on all those buyouts, because, as we said, they clearly need help on the blue line. Offensively, we think that they should be relatively OK, but the blue line is desperate. For, for uplift in, in terms of talent uh, based upon what we saw so far in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, tonight we have uh, game two between Tampa and the Islanders. Uh, Islanders looking to bounce back after 
uh, a, a, a being drubbed eight to two by the Lightning. Obviously, you know the 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 Islanders can play a lot better than they did in game in game two, and based on X uh, uh, usual, well, they lost by five goals, so they're going to win. I don't buy that. I don't buy that BS. I think if the team is a better team, they're a better team. Now, I think the Islanders will be more motivated to keep this game close and maybe will play a lot more physically. And that's where I think it'll be interesting, Russ, is that if we see – I don't know if we're going to see Clutterbuck because he was injured in, in game one. I wouldn't even use him. I get that I, – I get he's an important guy in the room, but let him take warm-ups and just scratch him. Like, I just give him a game off. He, you're going to need him for the long haul in this series. But Jan, but Jan, um, there's talk about them putting Boychuk back in the lineup. There's talk about, Oof. and Oof. so if they, if they do that, and if they put Komarov and Johnston and Sezikis and man, you know what direction that they're going. They're going. They're, they they want to try to intimidate yep. and run over the Lightning. And if they do that and take stupid penalties, the Lightning power play will kill them. Absolutely. I mean. And also, Tampa's not a team that's going to shy away because they play against Boston. It's a heavy team and took whatever Boston could dish out, and they responded in kind. I mean, guys like Gord, Coleman, Goudreau, all those guys are willing to, to take the body and respond in kind. So it's not as if you're playing against a team that's a soft team either. Yeah, I, I mean, do want to mention Wallstrom scored a goal for AIK yesterday, a really nice-looking goal. So that's nice for the, uh, the Islanders' future. Something that doesn't, doesn't bode well, and – Hasn't gotten a lot of coverage. Newsday covered it because they cover everything. I am really appalled that the new ownership group that has purchased Nassau Coliseum wants to turn it into a music theater and downsize it when the Islanders are done with it. Like to me, it's like you wasted all of those taxpayer funds to what? Have it in size? What is that? Is that so they don't have to pay as much taxes because they'll have? I don't know. I mean, I don't understand the, the thinking behind this. But it appalls me because, yeah, you could get the Bridgeport Sound Tigers. You could do a lot other, a lot of other things. And I think if they got the Sound Tigers, Islander fans on the island that could drive to the stadium would go to games. But I don't understand what they're doing here. Well, part of they used part of the property already for North, Northwell Health. They sold it to, so it's feasible. Maybe you do the same thing where they where they shave part of the property down and sell it off that they did similar to the other part. Then just knock it down. Like, why did you even go through any of this? I don't know. And, and it's at taxpayer cost, right? A lot of it. Hey, the rats have to have some place to live. Um, first no, no, of all, Mike, stop. I mean, it may have a leaky pipe in, in the uh, 300 section, but they fixed it. Come on, man. Where, where are they going to park that Honda? <laughs> but, by the way, final, final note here. At least like the rats to, don't have to line up for a bathroom. I <laughs> I'd like to congratulate who was, whoever was responsible for canceling, finally canceling the Kardashians TV show. Thank you. It's America, America. Thank you. Thank, thank, thank you, you very much for eliminating a load of trash and a bunch of tramps from television. Thank you very much. For Jan Levine, who's still here, and Russ Cohen. <laughs> I think the last time I heard the word tramp was in a share song, but whatever. Tra was it tramps, something in Gypsies, thieves? tramps, and thieves. Gypsies, for, those, tramps. for those playing at home. Yes, for those who were alive in the 1970s. <laughs> uh, for Jan Levine, for Russ Cohen, I'm Michael Agello. Thank you for watching. And remember, Without the buzz, it's just hockey. I was going to make a With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.